Yeah, as Dave said, that's not what's in your bulletin, is it? You know, God has an incredible sense of humor. Um, last night was our privilege to go over, really as a church, Dave led some worship. I got a chance to do a little speaking. Uh, we had several people give testimonies at the Safe Families Dinner. Boy, it just ties in great with Saint of Life Sunday. And uh, so I'm studying last night for this, and as I'm driving over, I don't know if the ladies heard me. I was driving with Dan and Judy. I was in the back seat, and I said, man, I need to preach this tomorrow night. And, and then it turned out, really, I didn't even use that because of, of some things that came up. But, but I, I'm going home, I'm going, gee, I just really think this is what God wants me to do. It's always a scary thing when that happens, but, but it probably means this. It probably means God's got a really special message for you and perhaps especially you that are here today. And we are so glad that you're here. There's like eight zillion churches where you could go and worship, and you chose to worship with us today, and we are very, very grateful for that. So, so what we want to do today is take a fresh look at an old, old story, the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels. I mean, it made like a huge impact on the guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys, you know, just made a huge impact on their lives. Uh, as, Luke, as Luke recorded the story, as, as Mark recorded the story, as Matthew and John walked with Jesus and saw this, it really, really impacted their lives. So here's the deal. If we had gone to the original scripture, it was really cool also because it's, a, it's the only miracle in the Bible that's a two-toucher. You know what two-toucher is? It means it took Jesus two tribes. Okay, but it's on purpose. I mean, the story goes something like this. The, the people brought this blind guy to Jesus, okay? And, and he can't see because he's blind. And so Jesus, you know, said, would you please heal him? Would you please heal him? And they take the blind guy outside of town, which I thought was really cool of Jesus. You know, he didn't want to embarrass him. Took him outside, and he kind of rubbed spit on his eyes, okay? And then touched him. And the Bible says, Jesus asked this question. Well, can you see? And he goes, well, I see men like trees walking. I, so Jesus said, okay. And so he touches him again. And he said, can you see now? And he could see clearly. Now, there's a real reason why that happened. And we won't have time because we are running way late this morning. I, I want to honor your time. But you, I'll, let, I'll explain sometime or you can read it for yourself. But there's a reason why Jesus did a two-touch. It wasn't that Jesus was losing his edge. There's a spiritual reason why that happened. And you know, how many of y'all ever go to the eye doctor? Y'all ever go get your eye? You ought to get your eyes checked, guys. Okay? You really should. Annually, you should get your eyes checked because you only got two. And when they go bad, it's kind of dark. All right? So, so Miss Benna is, is my eye doctor. And she sits right over there. And uh, Miss Benna, you know, will do the little eye exam thing and stuff. And, you know, my favorite part of the exam, okay, is when she finally, you know, she, she starts doing the little knockler thing and things up and down like this. And she goes... Okay, kind of like that. I was like, okay, which is better, the one or the two, the three or the four? I kind of yeah, I got that rhythm thing. The one or the two, the three or the four. And I will tell her, and sometimes it's real obvious. Sometimes like like two is like way better than one. And sometimes I say, and, and she can feel the hesitancy, so she'll say. The one or the two. And, and I sit there and I say, okay, okay, it's one, it's one, it's one. And what she's doing is she's giving me choices that I might see clearer. And that's exactly, you know, when we're talking about points of surrender, the whole general theme is surrender. But when we talk about points of surrender, these eyes and ears and heart, mind, mouth, hands and feet that we have, what would it be like if we surrendered those? And what if particularly today, what if we could take our eyes? 
and really surrender them to God. Now, you could go off and, and rightfully so and talk about how you should use your eyes for purity and you shouldn't look at things you shouldn't look at. But I really think God is leading us from the get-go in a very different direction. What if we could see through our eyes as God sees? What if we could see through our eyes as God sees? As, as Christ followers, how radical would that be? How would that change the way we live our lives? How would that change our worldview? How would that change how we see even the sanctity of life? And how precious life is if we were to take the time, surrender our eyes, and see as God would see. Now, let me give you just a little bit of a backstory um, in Mark and chapter, that's where we are today, in Mark chapter 6, verse number 30. All right, we'll have the scriptures on the screen for you. You can take the sermon sheet, just block out whatever I put on there, and use the lines to write. But Mark chapter 6, verse 30, preceding that, what happens is this. The guys are doing life. All right, so Jesus looks at the 12 and says, okay, I want you to go out. I don't want you to take very much with you, but I want you to go out and I want you to tell the message. So they go out and they, they touch people, like they cast demons out. And those who are sick, they touch them and they get healed. And then the Bible says that they share the gospel of the good news. They go out and tell the story about how Jesus is the Messiah. And we see them coming back and giving a report. So on this end of the spectrum, we have 12 guys. Well, we're not sure about Judas. He probably wasn't pumped about anything. But the 11 guys, they were like way excited. They're like, wow, can you believe this? I mean, we had to go out in the name of Jesus and it's so powerful and so cool. And we tell demons, get gone and they get gone. And, and we could tell the good news. How incredible. Well, while that's going on, Jesus gets words. He gets news. His cousin... John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod in prison. The, the one who was the forerunner, the one who said, hey, there's somebody coming greater than me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. That guy. The one that God had arranged to be the, be the voice of a person calling out, he's coming, he's coming. He dies. And so you got the, the, the 11 or 12 guys over here, and then you've got Jesus, and he's lost his cousin. And what a spectrum that is. So these guys come back, and this is the story of what happens when they get back. And you know, Jesus, the rock-solid course that he is, he's God in the flesh. Don't really hear much from him and his sorrow. But we do know from another gospel, after this, he says, come on, we need to go apart. We need to pull aside. So let's look at this incredible story. I'm going to try to keep it moving quickly. Okay, so get ready to write. Here we go. Verse number 30 of Mark chapter 6. So the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. The, the boys come back and they say, oh, listen, listen, let me tell you, Jesus, here's what, we, here's, here's what we've done and here's what we've taught. Here's what we've done. And, here's what and I really think it's like a precursor to like the church. You know, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, the church is established. And that's what the church is to do. The church is to do and the church is to tell. The church is, now, now, the problem is a lot of churches want to talk, 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 talk and not do. And some churches become social servant agencies and just do, 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 do and never talk. But in this picture of the church, we see that we are to share the gospel. But to enforce that, we are to touch the lives of people. We are to make a difference in their lives so we earn the right for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they do the reporting. Then the Bible says in verse 31. So he said. Jesus said to them. Come aside. 
come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So Jesus recognized the need to pull aside. He recognized the need to take a break, to take a rest. Now, I was driving to church this morning, and this thought crossed my mind. We, we, you wonder, what kind of place was this? If you're not careful, you see in this translation, this is New King James. I think one translation says desolate, okay? But the word deserted, what do you see there? You see desert. And we almost have a tendency to think of this dry, awkward, uncomfortable place. But the word is deserted. In other words, absence of people. It's a place where they could get away and rest. Because here's the deal. Whenever Jesus was around, there were people. I mean, Jesus was a people magnet. When they saw him, they came. So Jesus says, let's get away by ourselves and find a place that is deserted, a place where we could rest. As I saw this word deserted, I thought, what would that mean to people? What does that mean to me? Well, the word um, comfortable comes to mind. The word um, predictable comes to mind. The word comfort comes to mind. The word normal comes to mind. Because here's the deal. Even with all the people, like I said, Jesus was a people magnet. What was kind of normal for them was like them and Jesus. I mean, it wasn't uncommon at all for Jesus to sit down and say, Hey, guys, I want, I want to teach you. So what was normal for them was Jesus and the people they were comfortable with. That was normal. So you might say that Jesus was saying, Come on, let's go find normal. Let's go find predictability. Let's go find our comfort zone. I mean, you know, in this group setting, Peter could be, you know, Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. They always say that you'll recognize Peter because he's the guy in heaven with a foot-shaped mouth. I mean, you know, they, they could see this and they could be themselves. It was comfortable. It was predictable. It was normal. So Jesus is saying, go find a normal place because there are so many people coming and going and they couldn't even eat. Now, that could be fatal for a Baptist. Just saying. Just saying. They were so busy that they could not even find time to eat. Now, here's the deal. Comfortable is attractive. It's very comfortable for churches when things are predictable. It's very comfortable when everything's normal. Oh, my goodness. When I was growing up, I, I mean, it, it was like this. Choir song. Hymn. As in a song. Welcome and announcements. Two more hymns. Offering. Special music. Message. Invitation. That was... There was some comfort in that. You knew the Kentucky Fried Chicken was one song away when it got down toward the end. It was very predictable. And then, of course, you could not have church. You could not have church. You couldn't have church without a bulletin. And in that bulletin, it just reinforced choir songs, song, welcome announcements, song, song. I mean, like, there's your Bible and there is your bulletin. And, oh, my gosh, if we accidentally deviated from that, it was heresy. It was, can I have an amen? 
Can I have what? Y'all remember those days? I mean, it was like, wow, it was like locked in. But there was comfort in that. You felt okay. God doesn't always call us to okay. Even when he says, come on, let's go find normal. Let's go find comfortable. Let's go find predictability. Things may not stay that way long if Jesus is involved. So, the Bible says in verse number 32, so they departed. Where were they going? They were going to look for comfortable. They were going to look for predictable. They were going to look, to look for normal. They were going back after, after being on the road and doing all this cool stuff. Jesus having lost his cousin. They were looking for normal. They were looking for time they could sit on a rock together and sing Kumbaya. So they were looking for. And the Bible says they departed to what? A deserted place. They departed to normal and in the boat by themselves. But, 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 verse 33, the multitude saw them departing and many knew him, Jesus, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. I'm telling you, Jesus was a people magnet. That's why, catch this little play on words. That's why things can't stay normal long when Jesus is around We've got to be so careful. Listen, the churches in America have got to be so careful. When you become so predictable, you can look six weeks down the road and tell me exactly what time you're going to get out of church, what songs you're going to sing, what the message, you know, the length of the message, everything. Man, I'm telling you, something's wrong because Jesus is not always predictable. Sometimes he just changes things up. In fact, we want him to change things up. So, so... When they get there to this normal place, the crowd sees Jesus because he was a people magnet. They knew him. By the way, notice they didn't flock to the disciples. See, don't ever flock to a preacher. Come on. Don't ever flock to a worship leader. Don't flock to a youth pastor. Don't flock to a building. Don't flock to a program. Flock to Jesus. Flock to Jesus. So when they saw him and knew he was there, just all these people came. So then the Bible says in verse 34, and this is where it gets really on the eyesight. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus saw. See, Jesus saw the invisible. The, the boys had not, the, the disciples had not reached a point yet. When they saw people, they saw problems. When they saw people, they saw expensive. When, when they saw people, they saw fatigue. When they saw people, they saw the absence of normal. And they wanted to push back from that. But Jesus, because he had surrendered eyes, he saw the multitude. He didn't see a, a black skin or a white skin. He didn't see an old beat up Ford or a person who walked or Mercedes. He didn't check the address to see what part of town they lived in or didn't live in. He did none of that. He simply saw people. You know, this cross. No, not this cross. But this cross represents the cross. Where the ground is equal. Paul wrote and said there's not Jew or Greek. 
male or female, slave or free. Jesus Christ died for men. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save this world regardless of who they were. He saw people. And surrendered eyes see people. Surrendered eyes see people in spite of the fact it may mean normal's not normal anymore. Surrendered eyes understand that we may have to step out of our comfort zone. Surrendered eyes understand that things may not be as predictable as they once were. But as long as we're stepping out of our comfort zone, as long as things are not predictable as they used to be, As long as things are not normal, and it's all for the sake of the gospel, amen. Amen. Because I'm telling you guys, some of you are so frustrated with America. You're so frustrated with culture. Have you understood yet that culture is simply acting like culture that is lost? And the only answer for a lost culture is a redeemer, a rescuer, a savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the hope... The hope, the hope for America with all its problems is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not in a political party. It's not in a political party. It's not, it's not in any of the things that we so often associate those things with. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he sees these people and he's filled with compassion. He, he's filled with, the, the Greek word is affection for them. I said last night, I did use this part of it. You know, affection causes action. Compassion causes action. When Jesus saw these people, he was moved to do something. Would to God that we would see people and see them in such a way, we are moved to take action. Moved to do something. The one thing I love about Dorsville is we are not afraid to get our hands dirty. Through the cooperation with several, several other churches... And people in our community, once again, about 1,500 people passed through this building yesterday. Coaches are giving their time. Referees are giving their time. Uh, the, the kitchen people are giving their time. So that upward can happen. All-star can happen. Okay, I'm not a big fan of basketball. But you know those kids here at practice? Pieces of the gospel. You know what they hear from the lives of the coaches? Pieces of the gospel. All-star is not about basketball. It's about Jesus. And what a wonderful opportunity to get a hold of some lives that we may not already be able to touch or could ordinarily touch and touch their lives with Jesus. That's what happens. So he saw these people and he was moved to action. He was moved to do something. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says this. They were harassed. They were weary. They were fatigued. Like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus had a unique ability to see people and see them in their pain and in their hurt. And do something about it. So, the Bible says that, that he began to teach them. What do you think he taught them? The gospel of hope. He didn't tell them, this is what you need to do to become a better person. He, he didn't tell them, this is what you can do so you can come and be a part of our church. You know what he shared? 
the gospel of hope. I had the privilege, and I don't know if he's here today or not, but I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a guy on Monday. His name is Matthew. And I told Matthew, I said, Matthew, did you know there's a guy in the Bible with the name of Matthew? And I said, Matthew was a, a stinking, rotten sinner, lowest on the totem pole, tax collector, betrayer of his people, friends with the Romans. I said, Matthew, you know what Jesus walked up and said to Matthew? He goes, what? I said, follow me. I said, he didn't say, do this, start that. When you clean your life up, when you get it right, if you do this, follow me. I said, Matthew, the guy named Matthew in the Bible got up and followed Jesus. And something like this, Matthew, would you like to follow Jesus today? He said, yeah, I would. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And then, I don't know what you do, no magic words. I said, would you mind praying to God? I was, I was like, it's your baby. That dude cut loose and prayed the most incredible prayer. And you know what part I love the most? God, I never had a father. Today, would you be my father? God, I never had a daddy. Today, would you be mine? Ooh. Come on now. It got exciting fast in the preacher's office. It was incredible. He simply embraced the gospel of hope. Again, Please tolerate me one more time. The church, the world does not need a church. The world does not need a religion. It needs a relationship with a living, risen Son of God who bled and died that we could be forgiven. That's the gospel of hope. That's the gospel of hope. So we really don't know what's going on with the normal guys. But like Jesus is engaging these people. And uh, you know, Terry, you'd appreciate this. Apparently, the sermon went most of the day. You know, long sermon. So, verse 35. When the day was now far spent, I'm sure they're, over, they're having a business meeting over here going, uh, I've seen normal and this is not it. You know, whatever he meant by getting a rest, I don't think it's happening. So, the day was far spent and his disciples come to him and say, you know, th- I love this. Three times in this scripture, the words deserted place come up. First time, Jesus says, let's go, to, let's go to normal. So they went to normal, and now they say, we're supposed to be in normal. This is a deserted place. Well, duh. That's right, because remember, that was the whole purpose. We were coming to this deserted place. So this is a deserted place, and the hour is late. The sermon's been long, Jesus. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And this is just like pregnant with meaning. It's like way full. Says, Jesus, this is, you've called us to normal, and this was normal. And it became abnormal when they showed up. This is normal, and they're not. So we understand they have a problem, they have nothing to eat. But we don't want to get our hands dirty. So tell you what. Why don't we have a little benediction? You can finish the sermon later. Let's have a little benediction and let's send them. Now imagine, now you know from the end of the story, y'all know the story, if you're a Bible person, 5,000 men plus women and children. So about 9,000 people. So we're going to send them into, into El Dorado or to Harrisburg 
flood the market from McDonald's and Hardee's and Barbecue Barn and all those other places and let them go and buy themselves some food. Because we want normal and they're not. It's commendable that they recognize the problem. They have nothing to eat. It's not commendable that they wanted them to self-fix themselves. When are we going to learn that the world can't self-fix? I am certain that alcohol economics is a great program, but unless it's rock solid in Jesus Christ, it's a self-fix. Self-fix, self-fix. Listen, self-fix don't work when it comes to sin. And at the root of cultural problems is sin. It's sin. So, so tell them, let's, let's send them away. Let's send them to the surrounding countryside. They can buy themselves some food because they have nothing to eat. We're normal and they're not. They are, they, get that. They are keeping us from normalcy. They are keeping us from predictability. They are keeping us from comfort. And too often when the church grows and when things happen, we want to say, send them somewhere else. Because we want what we want. So Jesus, Jesus says, okay. He answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. Basically, Jesus said this, welcome to the new norm. I'm not going to send them away. Because the new norm, see, we, we've changed now. The, new, the old norm was, we're going to get aside to rest. That's past. I know, I know you didn't get it, but that's okay. The new norm. Now, now I'm telling you what the new norm is. The new norm is, we've got to minister to them. You give them to eat. You, you be the one who helps them. You be the one to see these people as people. You'd be the one to have a new view of the circumstances. Because just a couple of verses ago and still now, you see these people as a problem. You see these people as changing your life. You see these people as abnormal. I want you to take care of them. I want you to see them as normal. I want you to include them in normal. I want you to include them in the family. I want you to include them in helping them and minister to them. I want to bring them into the group. Normal. Well, they said... Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, again, most of you know this, but let me just throw it out so you'll be sure you get a little bit of clarity. A denarii was one day's wage. It's what a common laborer would earn in one day. Now, so he's saying, whoever this, for this, this one doesn't indicate, but they're saying, so do you want us to go find 200 days of wage worth of bread? It is a huge amount. I mean, do you want us to go by? Now, let me just tell you something. This, this indicates they probably were Baptists. They ain't got 200 in there worth of nothing. You know, we preachers, how many of you have in church Sunday? 700. How many of you have in Sunday school? Well, we had 250, but four sounds better. You know, we, we stretch things. So when he's saying, you know, should we go get 200 in there? They don't have 200 in there, I. What they're saying is, Jesus, this problem's bigger than you think it is. I mean, listen, when we introduce change like this, it's going to cause problems. By the way, you know how many badness it takes to change the light bulb, don't you? Change? 
you'll get it later. You'll be sitting at McDonald's after having lunch going, <laughs> I get it now. You know, we don't adapt well to change. We like predictability. Do you want us really to go get 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something? Well, he said, no, no, no. He said, look, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they, they said, five and two fishes. Now, there's a couple of things. First off, they didn't even have five loaves and two fishes. They stole some kid's lunch. Okay, they did. They took his lunch. You know, you know Andrew walks up, so, so kid, is that your lunch? Yeah, well, we want it. They didn't have that. And I always wonder, how hard did they look? Come on, there's 9,000 people there, and Jesus says, what do you got? Go and see. How many y'all got any bread? Or actually, it's probably like this. How many y'all got any bread? And this kid says, I've got, I've got five and two. And they got that and took it back to Jesus, because they're warning Jesus to go, this will never work, just send them home. I really wonder how hard we try sometimes. I wonder how hard does the church in America try? I wonder how hard do we do to share the gospel of hope that our culture would be changed. You know, it's awful easy to sit in a chair somewhere and complain. Ministry's a little tougher. Ministry's a little tougher. I wonder if we're guilty sometimes of going, God, the problem's too big. It's never going to happen. He said, well, go and see. Five loaves, two fishes. Then what we see in 39 through 41, we see a good plan for us, the church today. So he commanded them to make all uh, sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. One, practical ministry. A church should know where it's going. A church should have a plan to do what it's called to do. You know, some of you guys know that we do like the back to school event. And we've been doing that for 10, 11, 12 years. And over the years that has grown we assign, we assign leaders. My, my wife happens to be in charge, but she assigns leaders. Classes take this job. Classes take that job. Certain people in charge of this. It takes practical vision and leadership. And then he says this. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven. Perspective. Guys, it's time the church in America learned we can't do it. Thank you, brother. The church in America can't do it. See, the problem is our wallets are too fat. Let me tell you what I mean by that. What I mean by that is we have so much wealth in America, who needs God? I mean, there is so much wealth in the church in America. We just, so often we we want to build a building. Okay, well, here, here you go. You know, somebody said that you won't recognize that God is all, is all you need until God is all you have. And America struggles with that because we have so much. But the Son of God looks in perspective where? To heaven. What did we learn in surrender last week in prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Who art in heaven. It's a dependence that we need God. We need a heavenly perspective. God, we need to see as you see. And the Bible says, he blessed and broke the loaves. He prayed. Perspective. We have prayer. We have people. He prayed. Would you let me just think for a moment? I wonder, 
Was the miracle that Jesus held the bread or was the miracle the faith that Jesus had in his Father that the bread would multiply? And if it's faith in the Father and Jesus said, you know, you could pray and tell that mountain to move and it'll move. I wonder what we could do if we had faith like that. See, so often, again, we want to attribute just that. What could God do if we surrendered? What would God do if we surrendered our prayer life? What would God do when we surrender our eyes and we stopped seeing a racial and we saw people, an economic and saw people, an address and we saw people? How incredible would that be? So he prayed. And then he took this stuff and he gave it to the guys, the players, and they were involved. Isn't that cool? They, Jesus didn't say, I'll handle it. He let them have a part. And you know why? Because their perspective was changing. They were starting to see abnormal as normal. You reckon, you reckon, you reckon, you reckon that when the disciples went out and they were handing the bread out and they saw a little boy who was hungry and saw that little boy's face light up. Because, you know, best we can figure, I'm not sure how it went down. I've got to be honest with you. This may be my perspective. But as the basket kept filling, he would put a piece out and it would multiply. What do you think it did to their faith? Had to grow. Had to explode. So they fed all these people. And the Bible says, here's what's cool. The Bible says, so they all ate and were filled. Now, if they'd have had the 200 in their eye, everybody would have got a little bit. But when God got involved, when their perspective was God and they prayed about it and, and, and they had the players involved, they had Jesus involved, an amazing thing, they took just a little bit and fed 9,000 people. And they were filled. Let me tell you the difference. Today, now yesterday, let me, let me check here. Hang on a second. Yeah, yesterday, I had $5. Today, I have nothing. This is, this is normal. $5, my wallet, wallet, that's abnormal. This is normal. And yeah, it is. It's just the truth. It's, you know, you, you lunch buyers, you know. So, so this is normal. So anyway, so, so here's how it goes down. I'm over in Evansville, and it's lunchtime. And this is like before debit cards. Now you just give them that little piece of plastic in your debit card, and you need to do it all. So, so there's no debit card, and so I'm scrounging through the glove box, the little humpy thing right here, looking up here in the, in the topper thing for any money, and if I am lucky, I can come up with $2. That will buy a hamburger and a small fry on a good day. Am I grateful? Yes, I am. I thank the Lord for the little hamburger and the little order of fries. We should be grateful. But truth is, when it's all said and done, I'm not going to be very satisfied. I'm not going to be very filled, as a matter of fact. I passed one cheeseburger a long time ago. But what if? What if I'm driving to Carbondale... To see somebody in the hospital. And it's 12 o'clock. And I've got in my wallet. My debit card. 
Now, Judy knows there's a place on this earth that I love pretty good when it comes to food. The Golden Corral. Yeah. Did you know you can go in there and now I'm old enough and they give me my drink free? And I can go there and I can get chicken and I can get meatloaf and turnip greens and mashed potatoes. and, and uh, it's, it's just food heaven. Now, if I go to McDonald's and get my little burger, my little fry, I may knock the edge of the hunger off. But if things go right, when I leave the Golden Corral, honey, there ain't no room left. I am filled. When we do ministry our way, we meet a few needs. But when we're willing to say, God, it's yours, people get filled. We may be the hands, we may be the feet, we may be the pocketbook. But when we start seeing people as God sees people, when we get our perspective right, when our priorities line up, when we get those things right, I'm telling you, God fills the hearts of men and women and children. And it's just incredible. And the cool part is, if we do it right, He gets the honor and He gets the glory. So what's the bottom line today? What an incredible, incredible, incredible story. Well, I think there's probably three. One is this cross. I, you know, we are so blessed to have you here today. And you may have just came in. You may have come because of the baby dedication or, or something. But you never heard about this. You've heard about you ought to go to church and you ought to quit this and start that. And the Bible's rule book and all that stuff that isn't true. But you may have never heard about this. This is where Jesus Christ a carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago. We even shouldn't know his name. And yet, yet 2 billion people in the world identify him and God together. He died. He willingly died. And shed his blood that we could be forgiven our sins, of our sins. He paid the price so we didn't have to. And couldn't. He endured the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. And he extends that gift to you. Every person here, regardless of what color your skin is, where you are in your station of life, where you think you're a really big sinner or a really moral person, God wants to forgive your sins today by His grace. In a few minutes, my friend Brent's going to be right down front here. And I encourage you, just like Matt, Matthew did Sunday in my office, or excuse me, Monday in my office. Just kind of say, Brent, I want to know about that. I want to know how I can call God Father. And it'd be really true. So Brent will be waiting down front. The second thing is this. Maybe you're here today and you understood that you're a Christ follower, but you understood for the first time, maybe you need to surrender your eyes today and start seeing people as God sees people. To start seeing circumstances as God sees circumstance. Maybe today you need to be willing to say, you know what? It makes me uncomfortable, but I'm willing to embrace change. It, I, I really like predictability. I like to know the service is going to end this time or this. But you're willing to surrender predictability for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're wanting us four no more. And that's kind of what the deserted place was. You know, Jesus and, and his disciples and him, just that collective group. And you're willing to lay that aside and say, you know what? If Jesus came and died for the world, then we should try to reach the world. 
and you're willing today to open your heart and arms to them. As we said yesterday, to make room. To make room. This is our time of decision. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. And we're going to sing a song here at the end. I'm going to ask you to remain seated and just bow your head right there where you are. Are you willing to surrender something today? Are you willing to surrender your life and embrace this wonderful grace that God extends to us? Are you willing to surrender your eyes and say, God, I don't want to see as I see. I want to see how you see. People, circumstances. Are you willing to embrace something outside of normalcy for the sake of the gospel? Predictability for the sake of the gospel? Here we are still really at the beginning of a new year. Are we willing to surrender so we can walk the path that God wants us to walk? I'm going to pray for us. The team's going to sing. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. This is our quiet time with God. Please stay seated best you can. And I'll have a stand in just a few moments. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, I pray it made sense, God. I pray it did. Father, I know my own propensity to, to lock in on normalcy predictability, being a creature of habit. God, help us to be willing to let it go for the sake of the gospel. For my friend here today, and I thank you for my friend Matthew, wherever he might be today. But I thank you for my friend Matthew, who cried out and said, I never had a father. God, I want you to be my father. If there's someone here today, would today be their day when they embrace you? by your grace, and call you Father. Have your way in this time. Holy Spirit, God, speak to hearts. Don't let us leave the same way we came in. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.